Welcome to another episode of The Gush. I am Scott Allen and Chris, Chris Myers. Myers. Today it's just us two. Uh, this could be a quick episode just because we have so many albums coming out this month. Uh, this was a great idea to do this podcast, but you start to find out that a lot of albums come out on certain months, like certain time of the year, yeah. really. So there'll be a dead zone here in a little bit, I'm sure, where... We won't have so many albums, but then again, there's so many bands. Who's to say yeah. like we can't do this once you know, a day? Maybe they stop around Christmas time because that's the the. Yeah, you don't want to pull something out like. Uh, you well, know, typically know around that, that, like I would assume, like the record industry, like that time focuses on like Christmas albums. That's when you have like, those are what's peaking. Yeah, Grand Funk Railroad Christmas album. Yeah, just a bunch of Christmas. Mariah songs. Carey. Uh, actually, well, saying that, we didn't even say what we were uh, getting into today. Today's episode is on Grand Funk Railroads, On Time. First album. First. Released in August 1969. Um, 25th? 25th. Yep. Yeah. Uh, fun it, fact, same day as uh, Injustice for All, which we will be doing an episode on. <laughs> it was hard to figure out the date. I had to find the like pressing of the album, like, like, uh, like, sell, like a vintage seller selling the album the the vinyl yeah and that's how it was dated because i could not find it anywhere else holy shit like the 25th it just said august you know what i mean it was one of those situations this might be a little bit of uh we'll get into it of the things that happened in the history of grand funk railroad in the time frame that they were in there's there is some hard times on this band that didn't deserve any of it all they did all they wanted to do is rock out and have a great time. Uh, just bad is uh, an example of how bad decisions are, you know, in hindsight. At the time, they didn't. They're kids. Yeah. Dude, 20 years old. 20 years old. Mm-hmm. 20 years old when they recorded their first album. Sold millions of copies. Went gold the following year. These kids were on top of the world. Yeah. Kids. 20. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even drink in '69, like so. That's probably you know, drink at, like could drink at that time point in time. I'm sure it was like 18 was the alcohol level. Yeah, they're getting uh, age. They're, yeah, yeah. I don't know. They didn't seem like a real partying type band. I, you know, in their history, it didn't really. They it didn't get into throwing alcoholism. TVs out yeah. windows and partying all the time. It seemed like they no had heavy drugs. Pretty good here. intentions as far as like keeping the music pure. And that's what this band's all about, is wanting to just write good music and get up on stage and have a great time. That's all they ever wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I don't think they really had some political agenda. They didn't have uh, this idea that, like, oh, we should start playing in a band uh, to get rich, to make money. I don't think it was that at all. How it felt was the most genuine, like, way to, like, join a band. You're doing it for the love of music, and you can tell, like, what their songs. And... As we get into the history of this band, you'll you'll know as well. Like these are very genuine people that all they ever wanted to do was get up on stage and rock out. That's it. At the end of the day, and so we might as well start to get into the history a little bit. Or um, you know what? Let's take a step back. How did you first hear about Grand Funk Railroad? I don't know exactly how, but it was that uh, that Animals cover song, uh, Inside and Out, I believe is what it's called. Uh, and it's, it's and that's on this album, right? No, it's on the next album, oh, okay. the Red album. But uh, that was the first song I had heard. That's what I got into them. And then you know this album came later as I was digging through the catalog and stuff. But uh, that Red album definitely is 
big like turning point for me note like listening to that album being like holy i need to pay attention to this band who's this band i know they're like a three kinda, they get lumped into uh this corny you know sort of era of rock and roll because of the hits they have made and they you know they get kind of brushed aside or just like oh grand grand funk railroad you just kind of you know what i mean because they had so many hits it kind of ruined this band yeah, it ruined some way the, the like you, the cracks the songs that are in between the hits the songs that are right. like you know what i mean the early songs that got to those hits are you know just as powerful and we'll talk about it you know this is the first album so these are the early yeah. songs they haven't written we're an american band yet and these big pop hits but that was probably the first song i ever heard yeah yeah and for and you that the end you know, of their career that that was that Towards was probably the, the first yeah. song I had heard in the Zeitgeist. You know, what I mean, we right. all we call all kind of hear these songs in a movie, or they're just so iconic and in a commercial or something. Um, but I think, I think like uh, just delving into the catalog, you start to realize there's more here than first appearance. Yeah, you know, and each album just seemed to get like the. I'm I'm thinking the first four albums were just. Mm-hmm. Amazing. They they released a box set, I think, recently, uh, like a funk, grand funk box set, and the first four albums were included. The rest of them were going to be released later, and you could fill in the box set with them. It was a little weird idea. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, that's but, weird. But I guess, uh, you know, that also goes to show those first four were per, you know, yeah. pretty iconic, and you need them, the hits, you need uh, them out there. I believe uh, the quote was, this band went platinum over 10 times. And I'm not saying this particular album that we're talking about today on time, we know it went gold, but as like, so most of my research is done by watching behind the music at this point. And it's like, it's a great documentary, a band that hit platinum 10 times in a row. No other American band or the first American band at the time to do that. Yeah, because it was the British fucking invasion, if you will, because like the best bands, if you will, and this, we talked about this in Jimi Hendrix episode, went to fucking England. He Mm -hmm. went to Europe, like to go and create. Zeppelin was around, you know, uh, Cream, you had all. These are all British bands. The Who, they're just coming over here. Fucking Black Sabbath, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All we had over here was like, we had our Johnny Cash we had our like our outlaw country like that was we true a bunch of, we were coming out of the folk we thing. had our we blues had with the bb king and, and mm-hmm. the uh fucking uh help me out here like os redding like the the name yeah. a few uh even the 1920s those like lounge singers with like louis armstrong mm-hmm. and fucking uh billy holiday which i fucking adore those are like the american bands that you know up until this point and i think we had like you know, uh, probably like Iggy Pop. I think the Stooges were doing stuff at this time. I, I don't... 69? Probably I was, up north. I, but I think this is... I can't... 1970s is when their first album came out, right? The Stooges? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what... I, I believe it's around here, 70s. but yeah, this is like the time of like David Bowie coming over as well and taking Iggy Pop and taking him back over overseas. So again... A lot of our stuff was being created from England, and like those bands would come here Heavy and blow, yeah, yeah, sell millions, you know. And it's funny that that's happening in this time, and this band is completely not that. No, and not even on a pulse of like they didn't grow up in a city that was like known for its music. There wasn't probably a lot of places to play. Mm-hmm. They weren't in fucking California, New York. They mm-hmm. didn't have like. They were in a small town. They're working, Flint, Michigan. working class. Yeah. 
working know, class. Yeah. yeah. And so railroad yard, mm-hmm. uh, fucking, uh, I'm, I'm, we all know like Detroit as the motor city. So there's like a, a vehicle assembly. That's pretty much all you did. You mm. just worked on the assembly line. Uh, that's where the drummer and, used to work yeah. before he, you know, just started diving into industrial drums work was the, the backbone of communities. Right. And so you can hear how that American influence is in the band and how at the time there's all these other influences of Europe coming over here and us, uh, you know, American style going over there. There's a bunch of like cross between, and this band was not that at all. They were straight born bred American. Right. Uh, built in a, like a, a hardworking town mm-hmm. in a humble place where it's just suburbs. And again, not probably a huge music scene out there, but if you look at the list of bands that come from Michigan, it's pretty impressive to say the least. I mean, I know it's Detroit, you can just mix it in, but you know, Jack White, you know? Yeah. So, and then others way before that. Mm-hmm. But um, again, getting back to, we didn't have that band that was like our band that was like the best, you know, like yeah. that could hold their own against the European. The powerhouses yeah. that are coming over from Europe. Because we had Jimi Hendrix, but again, very half European, mm-hmm. like half England, because his band is from England, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I mean, He's like American, but still. We, yeah, we didn't have a lot at that time. The Europe invasion, there wasn't a lot of like American bands. Exactly, and and that that was coined before even the song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's great. Uh, we say we're talking about Grand Funk Railroad, and you got to talk about where the name came from, and it comes from a play on words from their town, and pretty well, much the, the Grand Trunk Railroad, Western, Western Railroad, yeah. yeah. The West- Grand Trunk Western Railroad. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I can't say that. <laughs> Grand Trunk Western Railroad. Yeah. Yep, I'm fucking this up. And it was Terry, which we'll we'll talk about here. So uh, yeah, let's let's get into it a little bit mm-hmm. because how this band really started was uh th- these people were all season musicians. Uh different forms, but it really started with uh Mark uh Fender. Farner, I think. Farner. And Don Brewer, the drummer. Mm-hmm. And they joined Terry Knight uh, with this, like, big band thing. There was, like, I believe there were six people in this band, mm-hmm. you know, two guitar players. They were uh, – Mark and Don were just a part of this, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But um, Terry Knight and the Pack is what they were called. And then they had that hit song, uh, Fuck If I Had – I tried to look it up, but Wikipedia is being a bitch. And there's a reason for all this because there's a lot of information that is – just dug, like, just someone fucking buried it. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of stuff is buried on this band. It's a little weird. Well, we'll get a, into maybe why we'll talk well, about Why a this bit. is a is possibility. Yeah. Like, why this is a thing. And uh, it just, it maybe just, why we're so vague on some things. Because we, we can't find out. We, we would have to really deep dive. It's honestly to really just find. another dark spot yeah. in this band's, you know, unfortunate history as far as they probably why not too many people know about this band like how people know about led zeppelin everyone knows about led zeppelin i don't know if everyone around the world if i ask someone that's 21 right now you know who grand funk railroad is i don't think so but if i asked them do you know who led zeppelin is fuck yeah yeah but led zeppelin like sold their image rights as well to like places like target and fucking walmart yes to make a shirt out and it's so it's so funny that you know you bring up led zeppelin and that this is where the band, you know, Led Zeppelin kind of has a history with this band in some way. Dude, this band is a killer fucking three-piece. All right, 
But first, we got to get yeah. to that point. So starting off with Terry Knight and the Pack, they had a hit song that was on the radio. It's a really nice song. Most people have heard it. Um, again, I cannot remember the name, but it doesn't matter because Terry Knight's a fucking asshole. And we'll get into that. Why? <laughs> well, we'll tell you why. So I believe a year in, Terry decided to leave to be a type of different singer, like a cocktail lounge. Yeah, kind of cabaret. Ca- cabaret. There yeah. you go. Singer. So when that happened, they pretty much, the rest of the band just pushed Mark out front to sing. Mm-hmm. Mark. Uh, Farner. Farner. Fuck Farner. You. No. Mark Farner out to do the vocals. And then they just shortened the name to the Fabulous Pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dabbled with that for a while, but nothing was really sticking. So again, kind of just like nothing's happening, playing this band for about a year, trying to do gigs, and no one's giving them any opportunity. Mm-hmm. So they take another step back and they think, what if, what if we do like this power trio thing that's becoming like a pretty big deal? Like a lot of bands are starting to become like these power trios are becoming more uh, prevalent and just coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is perfect timing because. We talk about uh, Jimi Hendrix yeah. and that fucking power tree. Uh, you talk about something like Cream. Mm-hmm. And that's literally the words uh, when they asked Mel, uh, fuck, I love his last name, but I can't say it. Oh. Schockner. Yeah. Schockner. Mel Schockner. Fucking cool name. Um, Sh- Sh- yeah, Shocker or something like that. Sh- it's S-C-H-A-C-H-E-R. So... I'm I'm fucking That's, this up. We're, we're just it's gonna really hot in here right now. We're gonna refer to him as Mel for the rest of the episode. <laughs> hey Mel. So when Mark uh, had this idea for this three-piece power trio, he comes up to Mel uh, Mel because the other people in the band were like, "I can't fucking do this anymore." Like mm-hmm. people it's not dropped worth. off. Yeah, people so, dropped yeah. off. But Don and fucking Mark, like you could tell, like this is what they wanted to do because mm-hmm. they fucking love doing it. So finding Mel to become their bass player, they introduced the idea. It was like. We're thinking like a power trio. And he was like, you mean like Cream or Jimi Hendrix? He was like, yeah. And he was like, hell yeah, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. And this is where it all gets started. Mm-hmm. And, and this may also be where the downfall kind of is. It's, it's so they just, tragic that it's the, be- it's the beginning and also the end. Yeah. Because but this happening, like them forming this power trio and mm-hmm. then practicing and then immediately like looking at each other after the first couple of months of being in this band is like dude i really think there's something here Mm -hmm. like they can hear it you know like we're doing something right so at this time uh, things didn't work out with terry and his singing career so he became a producer or i think he was a rep at capital a cap capital records i think he was a an a and r rep or something over there he was he was an artist relations i believe something like that um so he he was he had a foot in the industry and he was familiar with the band so they take a shot you know a little nervously of course because they're they were with this guy right. in the band so they know how he is and his yes. tendencies and, so and when uh they were playing in the pack with Terry Knight and the pack uh Terry Knight was ruthless like mm-hmm. how he he knew how to go into a fucking room and go to talk talk to the right people mm-hmm. that he knew he knew who was in charge yeah like they would go into clubs and that's how they got gigs that's how they got tv appearances because he wheeled and dealed he wined and dined he was really good at it but that being said he's a businessman and there's this snaky little part of him yeah that's like a little shady here a little so. shady and, and and don saying that in the beginning when they were like well you know terry's uh 
working at Capitol, let's reach out to him and see what he thinks. And Don was like, he's a great person. He really knows how to like get shit done, but I don't trust him. Yeah. And that was the first thing they said yeah. before they ever went to him. And, and that's pretty much that's signed I mean, with Terry Knight. The beginning of the end. Yes. And it's the beginning. Like it's But so- that being said, Terry Knight got them on the uh International Pop Fest. Yeah, he he got a I believe a call to let his band who I don't even think they had the album out at the time. I think they were No, just, this is before the album. Yeah, just straight up on trust. You got a new band, okay, yeah. they can open up the festival. You know what I mean? Again, wheeled and dealed that band yeah. in. And uh, right, twelve o'clock noon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Crazy set time. If you watch the footage, it's on YouTube. There's it's great. people you can tell there's it's it's people are like what is this you can tell mm. people are like what is there's some people grooving on it there's other people that are just hanging out like what am i and what song out? do they start with are you, are ready? you ready and that's what we started yeah with. yeah and you know it's a great opening song oh fuck it, yeah it, it just to start a, a show to show, start a show with like and they are consistently doing that with every album they're making songs for the audience and for a show like they 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 play on the album and they're great but it's Again, maybe some of the Jimi Hendrix thing where it's like he's more notorious for his live stuff. Yeah. I would say Grand Funk is probably in that same camp of like their albums are kicked. The songs and the albums are great, but it's watching the footage and listening to the live albums where you're like, okay, you feel the energy. The guy's playing with no shirt. You you see it (laughs) starts off. They they get on stage. Very first band. Fucking thousands of people yeah. out in the crowd waiting for something like at the, at the same time mm-hmm. fucking uh, a woodstock happening you know I mean? so big festival so, yes yeah. exactly um they get on stage and people like the crowd's facial expressions are just kind of like puzzled like who is this band i've never heard of them because they don't have any songs on the radio they don't they've never done anything this is like just kind of like one of their actually their first introduction yeah. into the world mm-hmm. you know and um they start off with that song, Are You Ready? And it that song, you heard it in the beginning of this episode, it ramps. It just keeps on going up and it keeps on going up. for like asking it, that question. and it, Are you ready? Yeah, because yeah. you're getting the audience ready for the preceding and show. So. right after that first song, fucking blew up. People were loving it right mm-hmm. away. They destroyed it. Standing and ovation. Just, and he just rips off his shirt just mm-hmm. because, you know? And I love that quote from uh, Mel. He was like, when Mark would take off his shirt, some of the women in the crowd would take off their shirt. And I was like, yeah, I like this. <laughs> you know, and like, then the trend continued of him not having a shirt and just no. wearing like some Hulk Hogan. Yeah, like brand, little arm like, tassels. Yeah. He, he had really fair hair, you know. Yeah, he it he was, definitely looked a little hippie, and this is the time of the hippies, but definitely not yeah. very hippie. This is way more aggressive mm-hmm. in so many different ways. But what a, what a sound that we needed for this mm-hmm. time. Because if everything was getting so lighthearted and so experimental, it's, it's sounds and, and just like textures, bring it back to the yeah, original. This is yeah, this is hard the power blues. trio. Yeah, like you want to hard blues. Like yeah, other trios at the time we talked about Jimi Hendrix. Like you listen to that album, it was two years earlier, and it's real spacey. Like there are there's really great yeah. songwriting, and but it's not like heavy we talked and about it's the heaviness of it like this album. foxy lady yeah. uh, some of those songs do have real heavy riffs and tones but this whole album besides like you know the like ballad songs where it still gets hardcore like it's pretty consistent of you know this this album heavy heavy, heavy sounds faster yeah. than that Jimi hendrix album yeah like every song is like 120 and up mm-hmm. it, the it's it's meant to move slow. people so it's even the song heartbreaker 
is a very, very kind of like slow paced song, how everything works. Mm -hmm. Everyone's playing a lot of whole notes besides for the drummer. And he's, he's keeping going. it. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's double timing the entire thing, which it makes it feel fast and not mm -hmm. being fast. But still, it was blues with a fast pace mm -hmm. and a heavy crunch. And they were experimental too with the way they wrote songs and like, Totally. Coming like up the on the fly, writing, but like, the, the dynamics of their songs are very astounding. Dynamic, yeah. yeah. Very dynamic with guitar coming in, fading in and out. The the dynamic of just this album when it comes to the production, which we'll get into later. It's just they knew that we need to keep it heavy, but also it's not about the texture of like throwing crazy effects and doing awesome production techniques with tape and warble and you know, what we were kind of getting into in the last episode, this is like just they probably were in the room, tracked it, you know, even the singing. They, the singing is not some uh, trained singers would, you know, laugh at. They're the, kind of you know, yelling. They're kind of, yeah. And you can tell these probably are not more than two, three takes. Like, they, they are young as well. So yeah. you got to think that, like, I, I believe everyone can sing. It, just learning how to is the hard mm -hmm. part. And in some ways, this band was so like, I want to do this, and I'm going to do it no matter what, mm -hmm. that they just figured it out. They just figured it Made out. Made it work. Own. Yeah. And, and what did they have? They didn't have a lot to do in Flint, I'm sure, besides mm -hmm. sit around and play all the time. Probably why they were so tight. Why they immediately came out of the gate swinging like mm -hmm. a motherfucker and had these they songs had and destroying mm -hmm. on time. They were so fucking on time, dude. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm getting an Amber Alert, and it's blowing my ball sack off of me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, stop. So, yeah, they did, they did this international uh, or pop thing here uh, in the States. At, uh, I think that was in Texas, too. I think that pop thing was in uh, a little north of Dallas, I think I read, that festival. There was a, they did the second annual one, which was a year later. Yeah, and they, they blew up that first one. Atlanta. So, oh, it was in Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Both of them are in Atlanta. Oh. So they, they blew up that so much, that first one, that they immediately got asked back for the next one. And headlining, I think. And, and the audience at that point, you know, that was when you, people, the word of mouth started. Hey, this band played with Zeppelin and Janice, and they played at noon or whenever, and they, they killed it. They were like, it's like you go and you see a show nowadays, and the opener is better than the headliner, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, I, I'm now a fan of that band. The only time I, uh, I've never really seen that, but I heard you explain it to me one time when I found Gojira, and you were like, yeah, the yeah. first time I saw or heard Gojira yeah, was yeah. them opening up for like they, they opened up for Lamb of God, here right? In, the, in Lamb Austin, of God was yeah. the headliner, but there was multiple, like yeah, still like two other bands before them, four bands on yeah. the bill, yeah, and they opened up the fucking show and. We're talking, if you don't know who Gojira is, stop yeah. right now. Go listen. I'm wearing the shirt, y'all. Yeah. I mean, now they've won numerous, I think, I think even oh, Grammys. Yeah. I think, you know what I mean? And this is, what, their second or third album, I think they were yeah, in I think it was four. their third album. Uh, coming over here was like 2008. Yeah, it was uh, the I third. remember you saying you saw yeah. this at Stubbs, and uh, you were like, this is, it, could you imagine seeing that? Just like this yeah. band walking out on stage, especially so intimate of a place yeah. like this Stubbs. is probably one of their first times, like maybe, you know, first couple times here in the States, if being their third album. Still talking about Gojira, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it's that example of a band coming out swinging. Right. Try, they have something to prove. And I think uh, 
they were underestimated. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, uh, we get on later. Uh, so later on that year, they record the album. Mm-hmm. So based on Terry just wheeling and dealing and be like, did you not see what they just did on the pop festival? And they're like, fuck yeah, get them in here. Get them mm-hmm. fucking. I think they recorded that recorded. at Capitol. Yeah. So Terry gets them. And this is kind of where some shady stuff is happening. Terry they, actually. Their kids, they signed a contract. They, they signed a contract to Terry to be their head. And then Terry signed the contract representing the band to be right. for Capitol. They're signed so, to Terry Knight, not Capitol exactly. Records. Exactly. So there's a middleman there, and that's where problems start. So you have Terry negotiating with Capitol. They're probably recording in Capitol, which is that really nice in, uh, I think it's in L.A. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it's in California, that big Capitol recording studio, Circle Building. Um, if that, I tried to find where all this production stuff happened, but I think because of uh, some some history, they just lost everything, and you know, there's not a lot of documentation, as right? Far as uh, and the fact that they didn't own their music, that those first four that, CDs yeah. after leaving Terry Knight, huge lawsuit. We'll we'll definitely get to get yeah, into that yeah. more, but let's talk about their second festival they ever played. I don't know if it was the second annual Pop Fest, but opening up for Led Zeppelin yeah, they in were, Flint, they, Michigan. They were asked to op- be on tour with them. Yeah. They were going to be the opening band. and Yeah, immediately, like, one of the g- world's biggest bands at mm-hmm. the time asked you to go on tour with them. Led okay. Zeppelin's breaking, yeah. and they're like... And what one of the first shows, they're, like, in Michigan or Detroit, I believe, mm-hmm. and the crowd loves Grand Funk Railroad, mm-hmm. so much so that... And this is so funny. Uh, the manager at the time of Led Zeppelin was a ex-wrestler. I'm forgetting his name. Oh. Uh, do you have his name? I don't have his name, no. Uh, That's funny, though. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was an ex-professional wrestler. And they're crushing it up there. And he's getting pissed because he's like... My band can't you, follow this. You can't... Yeah. Back then, it was a big deal about, like, if a, you can't have someone too badass. Yeah come after what is supposed to be the headline. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're throwing off the dynamic of the show. Yeah. What, they're going to boo fucking Led Zeppelin off stage to get fucking Grand Funk Railroad back up there? That could possibly happen. But there's a reason. They're in Detroit. This band's from mm-hmm. Michigan. This is Americana. Mm-hmm. That's still London's band. You mm-hmm. know, that's still fucking England. This is not England, buddy. Yeah. This is fucking Michigan. This is fucking it's Detroit. Al- it's also a different, I mean, whoever booked that, Jesus, it's a different type of like, you're putting one band who's like super high energy against Zeppelin. A band that's who's pretty like, high energy. I Zeppelin's would pretty high energy, but they're also yeah, bottom destroying. Yeah, you know. I mean, at the t- I mean, I, I guess at the time, I, I always just picture Grand Funk as like um, like a Van Halen type band. Like they're that's just, what it feels like. They're coming out and swinging whoever like just kicking yeah. indoors, like <laughs> running around the stage. The drummer's just screaming behind the kit. You hear? I love he's that singing, he sung back up. He yeah. sings back up, and he's just back there hooting and hollering. He's just every time like. Uh, Mark's taking a solo. He's just back there. Woo! His woo! drum style is so unique as well. Yeah. This, this whole band just fucking destroys. Well, anyways, yeah. getting so fucking pissed that they, like, the manager was like, my band can't follow it. So mm-hmm. coming up to Terry, and this fucking guy is about seven feet tall, like <laughs> 300 pounds, and says, get them off stage right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Terry, like, really fucking heard or was just like, what are you talking about? Like, why would right I? Right now, they're, I, play, they're, they're playing, in the middle of what playing. What do you want yeah. me to do? And this guy grabs Terry by the shirt. And this is all, like, Terry's words, him telling the story. Mm-hmm. He picks him up to eye level, 
and tells him, now. Yeah. And out of nowhere, the power just gets cut on Grand Funk Railroad. And Terry comes on stage and is... And, and a little bit taunts the whole thing that he says something along the lines like, oh, Led Zeppelin is too afraid of Grand Funk. They, mm-hmm. can't, they can't follow they Grand can't Funk. Yeah, they can't whatever. handle yeah. Grand Funk. And it just lights the fucking crowd up. And they go berserk and mm-hmm. start trashing the goddamn place rioting fucking commence uh, cops becomes, had to come and disperse the whole thing it was a big fucking ordeal this becomes a running theme with their shows because they now start, they're headliners they're headliners and they're yeah. selling out places and, and people are coming even if they're selling out there's they're barging they're trying to get in no matter what this is like one of the you know the type bands where you're starting to have such an influx of an audience that they start to coin that arena rock sort of right. thing where you know what they book Shea Stadium to play because the crowd is so big and intense and this is where the Beatles played and made their introduction and then what do they do they blow that whole scenario out of the water 72 hours they sold out the tickets to Shea Stadium it took the Beatles seven weeks they sold it out in 72 hours and it's a great story yeah. that it was so the crowd was so fucking hyped and so into and it moving and just jumping around you can see in the video of the, it this looks arena, like a wave of it's, it's and you crazy. can see kind of the structure kind of like bend in and out those uh those racks of seats the yeah, arena seating yeah. it's it's jumping with the crowd that's how many people are moving yeah. and there's stories of like the fire marshal Industrial having to come in, guy, the, 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 the architects stru- yeah. had to come in and make sure the structure was sound and safe and they might have to shut down the show. These are like super awesome rock uh, and roll yeah. legend stories that sold out Shea Stadium and then it was uproared. Like they, the crowd in not, not rioting or like destroying things, but just them loving this band so much almost tore the fucking place apart. It, it literally were the, I think the yeah. term tore the roof off this place came from it might have came from this Grand fuck. Yeah. it might have came from this and again every song they have is just it's fucking it's a punch in the goddamn mm-hmm. face and they go baby mm-hmm. they go and as they go let's fucking let's get into another song i think we're gonna do uh can't take too long cool which we try not to take too long in this podcast play on words I killed a 
I'm sorry, y'all. It's really hot in here, and we're, we're, we're doing so we're many episodes. Our minds. We're doing so many episodes. My facts are getting fucked out. I apologize. I apologize. Please leave a comment and tell me how bad I'm doing. Well, or how much you like it. Either, right. way. Yeah. Either. Either way. Yeah. Just leave a comment. Just talk, talk to us. Thumbs please. down. If you don't, you <laughs> tell know? me something. Just something. Just respond. Um, so we talked about how this band was on top of the world at this point, uh, coming out with another album uh, the next year in 1970 was uh, the Red Album, or the, mm-hmm. was that what it was called? Uh, I think it was actually self-titled, actually. Yeah, there actually it's just called Grand Funk. 
And that's and it, and it has like in quotas when you like look it up, it'll be like red album, right? Or red. So this is a this is kind of a motif after that kind of continues as they they just go by Grand Funk. They drop the railroad. I think it was that. Oh, that was part of the legal issues. I think they couldn't keep the name railroad or something. I think that's where some of the like. I didn't even fucking realize that. But what are we talking here? Uh, we have um, this album. This one today, and this one's t- this one's labeled Grand Funk Railroad, right? And it's on time. Yes, which is everything's a play on word with trains yeah. with these motherfuckers. Yeah, the album cover alone is them <laughs> holding a train with a clock. For God's yeah. sake, um, and it's it's simple, but I dig it. I mean, it's, it's it's smart. Yeah, it. there's maybe two on the nose for me, mm-hmm. especially when they do that fucking. Come on and do the locomotive with me. See, there's another like that probably oh, yeah, put them in this corny like hole yeah, where they. They just, oh, one song can like song. throw you throw it off a of fan base, but, and uh, that's way later on in the career, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, um, what was like? Oh, so we have the Red album, which is just self-titled Grand Funk, and then two more after that, and each one is destroying it, mm-hmm. uh, top of the charts, nailing platinum. Uh, these songs are on the radio, fucking uh, every day. You're hearing this shit. Mm-hmm. Everyone's hearing Grand Funk Railroad everywhere, mm-hmm. and they're selling out shows. They're playing. They're they become the Selling headliner. Selling millions of copies of albums. Yeah. They become the band that's playing the biggest places because that was where their fan base, that can contain. They started the 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 thing, Arena Band. Arena Band. They're, they're making songs for the people in the very back row. They're making a song to that person can groove to just as much as the person that's in the front row because that's where that's our audience we need to play to those people those people in the very back need to be just as hyped and like and if you're on stage playing the songs that are on the album twice as fast <laughs> you're so, gonna get hyped up they were so aggressive on stage yeah so aggressive i mean we laid them down this way in the studio and that makes all the sense mm-hmm. in the world because you wanna you want it to sound good on that album but when you do it live you always kick it up a little bit mm-hmm. you always make it a little bit more intense you kind of do maybe some different fills if you're a drummer you know you kind of mix it up a bunch you know you're playing harder yeah you're I mean, playing harder you, you get more crazy there's nothing you mm-hmm. can't you can practice all the fuck you want but there's no practice to being on tour in like a live showcase show you, after you show it. like the intensity, your nerves, and mm-hmm. just, and just really giving everything you are as a, a fucking band and as a musician mm-hmm. to the fans, mm-hmm. and just laying it all out every night. That's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And here's when we start to come on these really dark times from them. See, Terry, being their manager, was making all the business decisions, uh, taking cuts where he thought was right. A uh, sixteen from the top, ten percent for. Whatever, uh, I'm dealing out like three hundred dollars a week to the band. Like three hundred and fifty dollars was their weekly pay each member. They they were getting statements from oil companies from because someone shows. put their money into like these oil fucking yeah, investments he, and stocks, and they were like, the, "What is going on?" And the problem is, and Peter Frampton said it so, mm-hmm. you know, you're fucking, <laughs> you everything's fine. You're on tour, yeah. and you fucking when you come home. And you can't pay your fucking rent, then you realize something's Something's, wrong. Something's up with the books. And immediately, Mark's not having that. Mm -hmm. Still, they're very young. I think twenty three, twenty four, and he he immediately wants to know where the hell all this money's going. Immediately, and then they and starts with that argument. And Terry Knight fucking was like, you know what? Fuck you then. And how Terry said it, they were like, we're done with you. We don't want you as a manager. Fired him. 
Terry said they were in breach of contract, and if they were just waited two months, my contract would have been up. Yeah. Three months. They He's so waited, full of yeah. shit. He is so full of shit he, to try to make this story sound, to try to make him sound good in any way in this story is fucking bullshit. So he set up a shell corporation under the Grand Funk name. Oh my fucking Grand God. Funk Corporation, and it was. I was getting so it, mad when I learned about it. Was, this. It was sending money to fund oil ventures in, I believe, Michigan. The fuck. And then uh, he also, on top of like using their money and creating the shell corp, he is taking sixteen percent from Capital Records from for from Grand Funk's pay or you know royalties and all this other things, their payout from Capital. He's skimming the sixteen percent because of the deal and then he's also because he's the manager he gets 10 percent of the oh, band i want to punch so, a wall right now i want to hit that, something of that other uh you know 84 percent that the band gets he's still taking another 10 percent of that he's and, just and the then, record label's taking a huge chunk as well the record label's taking back a chunk, in the day you would get 10 percent, and then you're splitting it band. amongst three yeah. members so i mean in the end you are not getting as much as you're probably, and especially For if a this band guy's that's selling more. this much. Yes, so exactly. So leaving, Terry immediately takes fucking legal action, shows up to their Madi- Madison Square Garden show he, and sees their instruments. Sued them for $57 million. With a fucking court order yeah. for royalty or like getting back uh, uh, money, they, whatever. He was like, I he, put in the money for these instruments. So yeah. they're my instruments, he, technically. He, this is my band because I put in the money. In his words, still can't hide that. Yeah. He can't fucking, dude, literally saying, I, I own this band. I fucking made Grand Funk what it is. Really? It wasn't the people that got up on stage? And propelled and, it even further. Right, like, you, you're telling me that you could have just got any fucking band and yeah. they would have done the same thing because I mean, Terry guys, Knight knows what he's doing. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Those Terry guys Knight? are the ones that are sweating it out every night. So writing the songs, and writing bringing the songs. that energy. This first it, it album, means nothing without the songs. All written by Mark. He wrote the whole album. Terry, you had nothing to do with yeah. anything other than making Just one fucking business pro- decision yeah. in the beginning. To producer, I it's, think credited as I think this band did it. This band was already going to do that. It, yeah. it it pushed itself like without anyone, a manager, a record label, to do it. They try to open up for, like, bands, but they couldn't because people loved them that much. Mm-hmm. Your first performance was people were fucking, thought you were gods. This is your first stage performance. And then trying to be an opening band and just people loving it so much where you have to immediately become a headliner. And now you're playing, it's like you're playing arenas. It's like, what is fucking with me is that they didn't even play in bars. No, they yeah. didn't even start there. Mm-hmm. It immediately, when people heard this, they wanted it. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with fucking Terry Knight other than maybe getting that one that thing. But gig, they would have gotten there anyways. I fucking yeah, know it. They would have written this the sound, songs. Someone would have so. heard it and someone would have taken it. Yeah. Taken them to the next step. And that was, he sued him for $57 million. But showing up to the show. That's and what led that to happen. Fucking taking their instruments. Taking their equipment from the show. The you're drummer not even, yeah. was about to fucking kill someone. You're going to take my drum set? Yeah. You think you're going to take my fucking drum set? Really? Out of my fucking cold dead hands. That's what I would have said. And I, would, I, mean, I, would I think he brought like, police. I mean, he's Try. with authorities. So fuck. At that point, you're like so fucking yeah, pissed. You, you're you're done as far as and the lawsuit commenced. Yeah. And really, they, they try out, to fight. Yeah. They try to fight, but they had to settle out of court. Terry was smart, off. and because he was going to keep them tied up, mm-hmm. and Grand Funk couldn't perform, they would be done. They couldn't record. They couldn't perform. Mm-hmm. They because uh, technically they don't own these fucking songs. He be, had all the royalty rights, by yeah. the way. They, they would be locked in a legal oh battle 
for until Grand Funk was pretty much of, dead. stripped of all money. So and settling resources. out of court anyway still was every penny that they had. Yes, starting over. They basically had to immediately start had to start over. Yep. This was like them being on top of the world, and then here's where their struggle begins because they didn't have a struggle in the beginning. It didn't feel like. But their struggles came later on. So mm -hmm. maybe in some ways it was like you have to struggle in the beginning to get there. And if you don't, you get it right away and your flame burns too bright, then you'll fucking dim out real fucking fast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You only get a little bit of time. So use it wisely and stretch it out for a long period of time. Yeah. And not everything in four years and fucking I'm dead. You know? Yep. A lot of fucking bands at that so time did it like that. A it lot blew of just up and great artists that happened. We talked about Hendrix. screaming at you, loving you. Take Women are taking their shirts off. Yeah. And you're 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Of course you think you're fucking badass. The hot shit. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know this type of struggle yet. And here it comes. Well, the, Losing the struggle of uh, responsibilities with, you know. And having to go back in the studio and start from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I don't even think they were allowed to use these songs after this. He owned their catalog. Uh, it wasn't until way later on, uh, I believe, in... Uh, in the 80s or the 90s that they uh, re they sued uh, Terry Knight again for wrongful uh, being wrongfully sued in the beginning mm -hmm. and losing all that shit they they brought it back up on trial and I think they got back that property of oh. Duran Funk Railroad well that would be like, great because if you see albums. them nowadays you'd want to see these songs played live like yeah that's what I exactly. mean if, if they if I saw them nowadays and they only played Locomotion and we're an American band, and I mean, those are great songs, but so, I want to hear Are You yeah. Ready? I want to hear these old school jams come out. But so. it, it was like a, it was a very awesome thing because this is like, uh, I mean, how they had to get back to where they were. And, and getting with this uh, producer, this uh, very, like, um, I think uh, Todd, I just know him, I just know his first name. His name is Todd, <laughs> but this was like a pop producer. He, he, he makes a lot of polished songs, and he grabbed Grand Funk and he was like, Maybe it's time to go in a different direction, boys. And like, so that album, uh, I believe, um, it's right oh, here, Born to Die. Oh, yeah. Um, it was kind of different, you know? Well, actually, Born to Die is their last one. I'm sorry. I have to it's go to back. To All the Ladies in the World, I think, or something. Something like, like all that. All the Girls in the World. Um, here, I'll just pull it up. But, uh, like, having to start over and create this, uh, kind of like reinventing their sound a little bit, if you will. Mm -hmm. And... Coming out with, well, they which had, is going to be They turned into their a four-piece at, at this point, Right, too. picking up a keyboard player. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark was doing all the keyboard parts by himself. He was doing all the harmonica parts by himself, which is crazy. You know, those first four albums, they're all, it, it is a three-piece, and he's up there playing guitar and keyboard in the same song. So the album is called Phoenix, and it makes sense because they're trying to come back. Mm -hmm. And this is 1972, right? Like, this is... I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm on the right track with that. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah, because Spotify is a dick and doesn't know how to put shit in order. <laughs> Fuck you. I'm not sure anymore. The heat has killed me. But yeah. <laughs> reinventing their sound, they come out with that song, We're an American Band. Mm -hmm. And that becomes their Boom. biggest song. Back on top, yep. baby. Back on top. Mm -hmm. We did it one more time. It's their best-selling, yeah. best and, 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 charting song. Right. And then uh, the next album was a little bit better. It had another a, a couple of hits on it. And then then you hear the Do the Locomotive with me on, like, I think, Born to Die. They, they needed a hit. There. They yeah. needed something that they hit the charts. radio play. And, but charts, still, so. this is 1967 or 1976 is when they're – Getting to this point, like we came back, four more albums, getting there, mm -hmm. three or four albums. I'm sorry, people. 
1976, disco is becoming so big and it becomes undeniable and it kind of shuts down this band. Yeah, they're not turning disco. They they can't turn disco and the sound is not it's not perceived the same way anymore. And you're they're not, not gonna, the same band as they once sell. were. They're not, not gonna, a, a hammer. Yeah, that was smashing faces on stage. They became something different. And in this, this wasn't that type of music anymore. And so Graham they Punk Railroad it just called it. And I mean, that is you very rare. Like it's either bands end in tragedy where someone passes away. No, nope, they, the they, they just walked away and they, they it's all very agreed. Rare. You would, yeah. I mean, it's weird. You would think that's a it's, rare thing, but yeah. it, it does when each member unanimously is like, you know what? It's a good time to call it quits. We've run our course. Disco's here. We don't know if it's gonna die or how long. At the you know, this is just. And besides all all the shit they had to go through, anyways, this is like you know they still probably don't own the rights to those first four albums. They only have these next coming albums. And trying to recreate what they did, it's you know this is like getting down to their eighth album. They've been Mm -hmm. doing this a while and they killed it. So I don't think we could do it like this again. And just kind of I guess a little bit of frustration and maybe Mm -hmm. just like let's just hang it up. It's it's very admirable. But instead of just keeping trying to you know what I mean. But Again, these people being so humble and just being like, okay, we're done. Seven fucking years later, the IRS fucking comes for them because of those oil ventures that he put the goddamn money into. 76. Again, uh, suing them for millions, dude. Yep. They and Mark still fights to this day. Like everyone else, the rest of the band settled for like a third of what they should have paid, but not Mark. Mark still fights to this day to get that turned around. It was in '76. They put a hundred thousand dollars into a coal venture God that was damn actually it. disallowed. So they weren't allowed to do it. But at the time, they didn't know this, and the IRS, who would step in and be like, "Hey, this is no no," didn't step in until yeah, fourteen the, years later. Fourteen years later, which, they show up and they're like, "Hey, did you know this?" And which, like, no, did you not see the legal battle we went through? Yeah, fourteen years prior. So at Idiot. this point, interest and penalties are growing on this thing that they Insane. don't know is sitting it was there. Like Thirty-five thousand is what each band member owed at the time of the penalty. Oh no, it was, more, it was fourteen it was, years yeah, that yeah. the interest and the IRS it's being over the a quarter IRS. of a million dollars each Suck member a owed. Dick, dude, yeah. Oh so, my god. You know that, which if if uh, the other two besides Mark paid it off, you know that's got to be all your, fo- you know that's everything. Like that's you've, everything. You've, but they they still did it for a third of what they were gonna pay. So, but still, like it was a bunch of bullshit that they didn't it's do. It's this constant story of this band rising and falling and right, and it's yeah. really tragic. And and it's, not until uh, <clears throat> we got to get to the end here. Not yeah, until yeah. it was uh, there's a good ending. Six that yeah, like still just paying off that shit and was like fuck you but 10 years later mm-hmm. you know a they decade get together, later they get together and they start talking record or secret yeah. rehearsal spot they just want to start yeah. playing again they like their spouses uh their friends their family like notice something different about them that they lost and you need to get back to hey, is playing this. music yeah it wasn't about making the money it wasn't about having a fucking hit song it was about playing music with the people that you love mm-hmm. and i'm about to tear mm-hmm. up right now but this got me to cry that <laughs> they went in there and just fell in love one more time and went back on that reunion tour in 96 mm-hmm. and crushed it. And even some would say better than they were back then, the age, the wisdom that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still playing to this day. Still playing. Uh, they're still around. Original members. No one died. Yeah. I was crying. I'm crying right now because yeah. I love a good story. Like, yeah, it was a good ending. These people love to play music. Of the and ups insane. and the downs and where they started. I mean, it's like a true underdog American story you know especially at the time so of, fucking good yeah. 
And let's play our fu- my fucking favorite song yeah. off of this. That will make me cry again. <laughs> we're going to get into Heartbreaker. And thank you all for listening. I know we were trying to make this short, but yeah. Grand Funk Railroad is so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Chris, for mentioning, like, wanting to do this Bring episode him, yeah. so fucking bad that when I was like, well, whatever, <laughs> and just falling in love with this yeah. band. Uh, it, it's the albums like Don this. Don is one of like, my new favorite fucking drummers yeah. of all time. Don Brewer, fucking for it's, life. It's the albums like this, the, like, the starts or the albums that aren't the breaking album or whatever yeah. that's like. But this is a good start Sometimes it's the know. most history and yeah. the most influence. So I would say if you never heard Grand Funk Railroad, this is the album to pick up, y'all. Yeah. And let's yeah. get into Heartbreaker. Thanks, y'all. Please. 